today we're starting a brand new series called Sunday Best. And it's short, and we're gonna we're just gonna tackle a topic in the next two weeks today, and then next Sunday, uh, leading into Easter, uh, called Sunday Best, and we're gonna tackle this topic of personal evangelism. It's a great time just before Easter to kind of challenge our churches once again to the message of, of the cross, why we do what we do, why are we here, uh, what, why is this story so great and grand and big, why are we trying to live it out for Christ, why should we invite others along this journey with us, and so it's just a good time for us to kind of revisit this, this topic. So today we're going to be talking about personal evangelism, and I want to define it for you because some of you may not know exactly what I mean by that, especially if you're a new convert or you grew up in a church that maybe didn't didn't use that particular language. Uh, but personal evangelism is very simple. It simply means this. It's when I take it upon myself to share Christ with other people. It's just when I take it upon myself. It becomes my goal, my responsibility, part of my life's experience to share Christ with other people. And I want you over the next 25, 30 minutes as as we talk about this to be thinking about things like when is the last time that I really shared my story? When is the last time that I have shared the love of God with someone. Now, a, a lot of you are going to start to think, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not a speaker, I'm not a sermonizer, I'm not a pastor, and that's not what I'm saying at, at, at all. I'm asking you, when's the last time you've just shared the story of Jesus with someone? And so as, as we talk about this, I want that to kind of be playing over and over in your mind so that you can kind of get an idea of where you stand on this topic. I want to start with Proverbs chapter 11 this morning. Verse 30 in the NASB says this, The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he who is wise wins souls. He who is wise wins souls souls. Depending on how you grew up and what you were exposed to, and also what at what age you were at or what stage of life or season of life you were at when you came to a knowledge of Jesus Christ or dedicated your life to him, turned your life over to him, there are many thoughts that come to each of us when we think about evangelism. This is actually a word that we don't use often. We'll we'll talk we'll we'll word it other ways, but the word evangelism. When we hear that, we think of the days of the evangelist. You know that someone would kind of come to your church and pump and prime everybody and kind of help the pastor, and then he would leave and go to the next next city, and that still happens. But when we think of evangelism, I'm, I'm going to take you back just a little bit and. We think of things like radio broadcasts. Okay, now if some of you don't know what the radio is, it's a it's it's a device that has numbers on it and you turn a dial until it hits a station. And there's many stations on there that you can choose from. Everybody's with me this morning. This was before the podcast. 
Okay, and so people paid radio time, and people would actually gather around the radio. I remember my grandparents talking about this growing up. They would walk on Saturdays about two miles to get to the neighbor's house uh, to listen to the Grand Ole Opry on the radio, uh, and that, that was their big Saturday night thing. They would gather around the radio, and they would have a, a, a meal and some snacks and, and whatever. Um, th- this was course, long before the podcast. Some of you think, when you think about evangelism, you think of bus ministry, okay? In my teenage years, I grew up in churches that did a bus ministry, and so people would show up at the church about 8.30, and they would fire up all these buses and go out and pick up kids and families and bring them into church, and, and, and that's what we thought of when we think of being evangelistic, then there was door to, to, to door. How many of you have ever gone door to door? I mean, you are on the front line of it, yeah. Door to, to door. I, I know this from experience. People don't appreciate you showing up at their house unannounced, okay? They don't, they, they don't like it. You can ring a doorbell and you see everybody jump behind the couch. You know, they, they, they don't want you coming by. They don't want you seeing their house. They don't want you seeing them. They don't want to talk to you about God without having some preparation. But we used to go door to door. And that was like the thing to prove that you were evangelistic, that you were growing in faith. You would knock, knock, knock. Hey, when's the last time you've been to a church? Yeah, can I talk to you about that? Well, here's, you know, here's some in, in, information. And that leads me to this. Tracks. Okay, we used to hand out tracks. And I grew up in, in a, uh, going to a private Christian school, and once a week they took us to the skating rink. I know, I know. And so they took us to the skating rink, <clears throat> and they would give us a handful of tracks. And they would say, hand these out to all these kids. And people would go, You by the time we were done, you would go in the restrooms, and every sink would have a track on it, every toilet had a track on it. I mean, I mean, does that really happen? You know, like people go in to use the restroom, oh, thanks, I've got a tract in here to read. And we would hand out the, the scary ones. You know, it showed the, the devil as a guy with a big Sith, and he was coming to glean souls. And, and then there was, you know, fire on one side and this golden city on, on, on the other. You look at it as an adult, it sounds a little hokey, and you think, how in the world? did anybody come to Jesus doing that? Um, Christian television. Man, when I, think, when I hear the word Christian television, I immediately go to like the days of Jim and Tammy Faye Baker, uh, Jimmy Swaggart, Jan and Paul Crouch, you know, anything with purple or pink hair and lots of makeup. And, and uh, I, I think, man, that is, you know, put your hands on, on the screen. Somebody send me some money. That's exactly what I think of when I hear the words Christian television. But we grew up watching these things and seeing them, and we thought that's evangelistic. Okay, um, things like crusades, like Reinhard Bonnke, or or you think about the old Jimmy Swagger uh, crusades, or Billy Graham's crusades. Billy Graham was in Little Rock when I was 16 years old. He was at War Memorial Stadium, and I went, sat at the very top, not a place to sit in the whole thing. And um, it was pretty in- incredible. It was like stepping back in time because, I mean, he stayed exactly the same. His method stayed exactly the same. The songs were exactly the same. And, but it was amazing. I mean, he preached this message for like 20 minutes, and he opened it up, and thousands of people poured down onto the field to give their life to Christ. It's amazing. So when I think of crusades, I think of evangelism. 
But many of these examples were in the era of Sunday best. And this Sunday best referred mostly to the clothing worn to church. This began in the awakening of the 1920s, and it was a challenge to to the church people to wear your best clothes on Sunday. It was a way to honor God, to you put on the best thing you have. They, They made it like a way of worship. This is not theology, it was man-made dogma, but it was like this thing that we're going to do. We're going we're gonna to all get together and we're going to wear Sunday best. And so people did. They put on either the best suit they had or the best overalls that, that they had, and they came to a church. I remember in, in the 90s, I started hearing pastors use this phrase, and they would refer to Easter as catwalk weekend. Because everybody, you know, went out and bought a new Easter dress or a new Easter suit, and they would wear things that they normally would not wear. And they would go out and spend, you know, hundreds of dollars to walk in on Easter and say, look who is in the building. You know, it's like this, this catwalk weekend. And I still remember the first weekend that we asked people not to wear neckties on Sunday. And I, I re, re, remember saying, hey, Easter's in two weeks. Please don't dress up. Just like be yourself. And the goal was to create less formality and more authenticity. It was for us to actually come into a building and just be us. To come into a building and you be you and I'm going to be me and we're going to worship God and make the focus about him, not about my outfit and not about what I bought. and not We're, we're, we're going to take all that formality out of it and we're just going to focus on being real before God. So it's safe to say that the methods of evangelism have changed many times over, but the message of the cross has stayed exactly the same. I want to begin today by going over three myths of evangelism. A lot of you have come with some preconceived ideas about what it looks like to actually share the love of God with other people. And so I want to tackle those and get those all behind us today. Myth number one is this. You must be a professional. That in order to be evangelistic, you got to be a professional. You got to have some seminary. You got to have grown up in this thing. You got to have some wherewithal of scripture. You got to, you got to know where you're headed and, and you, you got to be professional. You got to have, be a card carrying member of the clergy, you know, special parking pass and everything. You, you got to have those things. And for years in the American church, all ministry went through the pastor. All of it. They did everything. It's like you, you hired this guy and you said, now, now, now listen, we're going to pay you money and you're going to do all the things that re- our church requires. And so you do it and we'll follow you sometimes. Other times we'll stone you. If we don't like what's going we will vote you out. Okay, deal? Let's shake. Okay, and that's how it kind of went down. And so the pastor would open the door, and he'd turn on the lights, and he'd go to the hospital, and he'd speak every weekend, he'd organize everything, he'd lead every, every ministry. And I will tell you, for a while, I got caught up in, in this. Like, like it was on me, like, like heavy. Like, this is what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to bear all of this. And I remember a time frame when Craig, David, and, and, and I did everything, all of it. 
Like if if a light bulb needed to be changed, if 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 if, uh, if if a toilet needed to be cleaned, and we're not a above that, but I'm just saying that everything that happened, as a matter of fact, when we moved from um, a, a little church out here to the carpet store that we just moved from two years ago, everything that was done in that building was done by David Bunting, and then Craig painted some. And I went to Wendy's every night and got people hamburgers, baconators to be specific. And so we would work all day, and then we'd go to the church, and we'd work at about 1 o'clock in the morning or midnight. Everybody would say, it's baconator time. And I'd run to Wendy's, get baconators, come back. The three of us would sit over there in that building piddling at things, and it took us months and months and months to get into it because we felt like we could not ask people to get involved. We were modeled that, that behavior. That's what people taught us. And in the back of your mind, I'm going to be honest with you, in the back of your mind, you kind of think, man, I hope our church doesn't grow because we can't handle much more. And so um, one individual can pastor about 100 people at any given time. So you've got to have people. That's why we lean so hard about, about serving. But this is the model that we were taught. And this has created a school of thought across America that you must be a professional minister to do ministry. Because of this, people put pastors on a pedestal. And here's what happens with pastors that you may not know about. Okay, Listen, if you're a pastor, anytime you show up at a family event, you're going to get asked to pray. If there's food, Kevin, will you just bless the food? Oh, okay, I mean, there's 50 of us here, but I, sure, okay. And then, like, the next month, Kevin, will you just pray over this? Okay, well, okay. You know, and you'll, you'll pray. It's like you are the professional prayer. You are, you are the professional. Like, you talk to God, and he's like, whoa, 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 stop. Kevin's talking. Okay. Um, that's how people perceived it. When I started speaking in churches, um, I had a mentor tell me, listen, do not go to Sunday school. Just show up at church to speak. If you go early and go to Sunday school and you sit in a class, the teacher is going to defer every question to you. I thought, that's ridiculous. So I went and I walked in and the Sunday school teacher was like, well, good morning. How are you? Are you new to us? Yes, ma'am, I am. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for well. What 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 brings you here? Well, I'm speaking this morning. <gasps> and then she would get into her 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 lesson. And be like, um, the the Israelites crossed the Red Sea. Kevin, do you want to talk about that? Do you want to talk about how the Israelites crossed the Red Sea for us? Just just elaborate. Give us your your two cents on that. Oh, okay. And then I'd talk about five minutes. She would go into something. Kevin, will you just will you just talk about that for just a minute? It's like it's like everything gets deferred to you. Become the expert in the room about the Red Sea crossing. When people tell a joke, they always start with, sorry if this offends you, Reverend. But um, it's like, but I'm going to tell it anyway. <laughs> Two guys walk into Colton's to get a beer because <laughs> that's what we do around here. I was known in one of our barber shops here in town as Kev the Rev. I mean, how terrible, how terrible is that? It's awful. It's like, here comes the expert. Here's the expert minister. The work of evangelism is not reserved for professionals. 
It is common for every believer in the room to be able to share the good story of what Christ has done in your life. As simple or as complex, it is your story. You own it. You have the rights to it. And God wants to use you to evangelize. Myth number two, you must have a platform. People say, well, you know, I'm scared of the platform. I'll never be able to share the gospel. I don't like being in front of people. I don't like being seen. I don't like being noticed. I have a platform. Listen, whether you sell cars or sell insurance, whether you teach children or teach yoga, whether you cure cancer or cure bacon, okay, God will use you in your marketplace. He can use you in your marketplace. The reason our church continues to grow is because you are telling other people in your circles about our church and about the love of God and about why you appreciate and value what's going on. Evangelism happens just as much in church as it does in a cubicle. The marketplace is powerful. Your platform is where you are, not where you're growing, not not where you're going to get to one of these days. Your platform is right now. In fact, you have influence where you are that others do not have because you have friends where you are that no one else has, because you're in a career where you are that others are not involved in. James Bennett, our pastor at Cabot, he has a daughter named London. She went to her dad a few weeks ago, and she said, Dad, um, I'm finding that a lot of my friends do not have Bibles. I will come to school on Monday, and I'll, I'll be talking about um, what happened at our church on Sunday, and they, they don't have a Bible of, of their own. And Dad, I, I want to go to my school, and I just want to give out Bibles. And James said, well, honey, you know, we have to, we have to go through, you know, some, some conversations. If you want to do this, we want to do it the right way. We don't want to get into black market Bible sales at school. So let's go talk to the right folks, and let's make this happen the right right way. Let's get permission. Let's do it with some class. And she said, whatever we got to do. So they went and they talked to the right right people, and they said, hey, you know what? As long as, you know, she's not walking around forcing them on, on people, as long as she's not selling them for profit, then if, if she wants to gift them to people or they, they ask for them, then, yeah, she's free to give them. Long story short, it became such a big deal that the school permitted her to call the Gideons, and they brought in 600 Bibles and set up a table, and they were gone, just like, like that, students walking up and getting, getting free Bibles, okay? The point there is this. It didn't happen in a church. It didn't happen through a professional. It happened through a student who just said, I, I'm, I'm with these kids all day, and I love them, and I love what's going on in my life, and, and that became her platform. She doesn't even know what that means, but it became her platform, and she used it. Myth number three is that you must be prepared, okay? How many of you love preparation? Like, your life revolves around it, okay? I mean, you got to have it, okay? Some of you got to have it so bad, you need medicine, okay? Like, preparation, okay? 
And I mean, you're that kind of person, when you take a trip, everything is packed by the weekday. You know what I mean? Like, here's stack of Monday, here's Tuesday stack. Here, Y'all are looking at each other because you know I'm right. Okay? You weigh everything, and you know exactly. That suitcase is 48.6 pounds. You take a label maker with you. I don't know why, because you're weird. I, I don't know. But you got a label maker with you on vacation. No surprises, because you are prepared. And I was reminded this week, Aaron Bunting, David's wife, was going to speak a devotional for the worship team, and we were bantering back and forth about that, and I was reminded about my very first message that I ever spoke. I was 16 years old, and I spent hours stewing over it, hours going over it, going over it, going over it, riding and erasing and riding and erasing. And I spoke it to my former youth group, and so I was real excited because they were like, come on back to a Little Rock, and you, you can speak to your former youth group. And and I was like, okay, you know, I, I'll, I'll I'll be glad to do that, and I, I guess they announced my name, because when I got there, only seven people were there, and so, um, but I spoke to seven people, okay, and here, here it, here's my first message. This piece of paper is 30 years old, and it had, you know, just these eight little things on here, and, and to be honest, they're terrible. Like, I, I wouldn't have, have come to Jesus over this. But um, to me, it was such a big deal, and, and I was just emptying my, my heart out before these people that I, I was friends with, these, these seven people, and, and I even ended. I said, this may be the last chance. I, I, I wrote, last chance I can talk to you, meaning that this may be the only time in our lives where all eight of us are in the same room again, and you know what? It was true. But I left that place, and seven people attended, and seven people were saved, that's because I left batting a thousand, and I expected a call from T.D. Jakes any second. And I was like, "That's right, I'm going into the ministry." I just preached one time to seven folks; seven got saved. But evangelism is not like preparing this. It's not like a devotional. It's not well thought. Oftentimes, it is spontaneous. It is sensitivity to what God wants to do with your current interactions. This most often happens in a right now moment that God has ordained for you. And we as believers, we need to be aware and welcoming of right now moments. Of, of being aware of our surroundings. Who am I sitting with? Who am I eating with? Who am I working with? And, and be very sensitive to what God wants us to do right there in, in those moments. There is no preparation required, okay? Let me show you how Jesus did it. Matthew chapter 4, verse 18, says this. One day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Verse 19, and Jesus calls out to them, come Follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once, and they followed him. It was just a spontaneous reaction. It was him reaching out. It was him saying, hey, hey, come on. Hey, get, get to know me. Make a friend. He spoke into their, their life. He gave them hope. If you'll follow me, then, then your life is going to completely change. And you and I will learn how to do this in our own journey. 
We will learn how to interact with people like this in our own way, in our own journey. Because if you have a relationship with Jesus, guess what? You have a ministry. You do. And for some of you in this room, you've never been told that. You've never been told because you think you're a doctor or you think you're a lawyer or you think you're a teacher or you think you're a business owner, but you are actually a minister in the marketplace. You may never never stand up here and do this, and that's fine. You may reach a lot more people than, than this. You have a ministry. And I want to read you something found in Romans chapter 10. This is Paul writing. And if you're going to attach to one verse that I give today, I want it to be this one. I want you to walk out of here with this one in mind. Romans 10. I'm going to read 9 through 15. And I just want, want you to hear his heart on this, okay? So I'm going to slow my cadence down and my tone down, and I just want you to hear this as a conversation that Paul is having. He says, If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Okay, now that that alone is powerful. This is big revelation for salvation. Verse 10. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. And it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. Verse 11. As the scriptures tell us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Jew and Gentile in the same respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Watch. He's, he's about to spin it on, on to, 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 to them in verse 14. But how can they call on him to save unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? This is why the scripture says, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. That's good, isn't it? He's saying to them, listen, this is how easy it is to come to Christ, to believe in your heart, to turn your faith over to him, to aim it in his direction. And he said, but how will they ever know unless they're, they're, they're told? How will they ever know that? So let me apply this really quick. I got a few minutes left. I'm just let me give you an a- application here. I want to ask you, who brought you to Christ? You. You sitting in the seats. Who, who brought you? Some of you have a great story about how your mom and dad were fantastic and they mentored you and they grew you up in church. That's my story. As a matter of fact, for a long time I struggled with, am I saved or not? Because I was just raised. It was like I was always there. It was like I was always in love with Christ. It's like I just kind of grew up knowing about church and serving church and hearing great stories and But some of you, that's not your story, and that's great. Some of you had extreme rescues. For some of you, people jumped headfirst into your life, and they loved you enough to confront you and ask you about your life. Through their relationship with you, maybe you saw something in them that you wanted for you for yourself. You didn't know exactly what it was, but the closer you got to them, the more you realized it was the love of God. For some of you, maybe you showed up at an Easter service or a candlelight, 
And it was a real simple message just about how much God loves, and that's all that you needed. And you just came. You just decided today is this day. It's today. I'm not waiting. I'm coming. Who brought you to Christ? In John chapter 9, I'm going to hustle through this. In John chapter 9, it's one of my favorite stories. There's this blind guy. And Jesus does the very odd thing. You know, it's, it's this story where he spits in the mud and he makes a clay and he puts it in this guy's eyes. What we don't realize it, it, in reading this story is there's some missing components. Okay, now I've always told you when I get to Kevinology, I'll tell you, and this is it. I believe in this story, and if you read it, I think you'll see the same thing. I believe Jesus spit in the mud, made a, made a clay, put it in the man's eyes, and told him, go wash at the pool of Siloam. And I believe Jesus walked off. I believe he left him right there. Okay, Because it's not until the next chapter that he actually meets him. And he's, he's healed. And he, Jesus is talking to him, and he doesn't even know who he is because he's never seen him. But we, we know this, that the origin of this miracle started at the gates of the temple, and the pool of Siloam was over a mile away. Someone had to love that guy enough to take him. Somebody had to love that blind guy enough to finish what God had started. Somebody had to love him enough to lead him to the pool and say, if you'll just wash right here, Jesus said that you're going to be made whole. I know I overheard it. Somebody was evangelistic. Because they could have all walked off and left him sitting there with mud in his eye. But somebody got in his life. It's like the guys in, 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 in Mark that took their sick friend to see Jesus. And when the house was so full, that didn't stop them. I mean, they climbed up with a sick guy and tore the roof off to get him to Christ. That is the heart of evangelism. I want my friends, I want my family, I want my coworkers to experience the same love and compassion and forgiveness that I've experienced in my own life. That's what we see in Mark. That's what we see in John chapter 9. So let me wrap up. Here, here's, here's a few things we know. You're never going to beat the Holy Spirit to the punchline. Okay? You're never going to beat the Holy Spirit to the punchline. This is where a lot of ministries derail because someone starts to believe they are the one responsible for spiritual results. It's happened throughout time with popular evangelists and big, big ministries, but it goes all the way back through stories of Samson and the, the judges and, and the Adamic age. It goes back to those where people say, you know what, good things are happening. It must be me doing it. But you're never going to beat the Holy Spirit to the punchline, okay? Because when you feel led to talk to your friend, guess what? You are the second person to show up. The Holy Spirit's already been working on them. When we invite people to come and be saved, it's, it's not based on talent and ability. It's because the Holy Spirit's already done the work. We're just extending the invitation, Romans 5 and 8 says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This means you and I were reconciled to become reconcilers. You and I were saved to help other people come to the same salvation. 
Second thing is you have the privilege of being on the forefront of what God is doing. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18 says, All of this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. To use sports as an example, Jesus is always the quarterback, but you and I have the opportunity to be the running back. He's planning something to hand off to us. And with great responsibility, we take it and we do our best with it. That is evangelism. The plan is in his mind, and you and I get to be the hands and the feet of it. Three, people are ready. People are ready. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11 If you've gone through the one-year Bible, you've come across this verse, but it may have passed you by. So I want to slow down just a minute, and I want you to get this verse, Ecclesiastes 3.11. He has made everything beautiful in its time, and he has set eternity in the human heart. Okay, when you begin to dig on this, it means this. The thoughts of eternity, the thoughts of what's next, the thoughts of what happens when this body quits, he has set it in our heart to think on those things. Man is ready. They are prepped. So it's very important that we realize that we cannot separate getting saved from being sent. Okay? Now I'm going to end today with this. What not to do in evangelism. What not to do. I could have preached a whole sermon on what not to do. Okay? Do not start a conversation with, where will you spend eternity? Okay, you're going to scare people off. You know, and you say it in that movie theater, you know, promotion. Where will you spend eternity? In a world, you know, it's scaring people to come to Christ is, is, is not the right thing. So starting a conversation with where will you spend eternity is, is not the right thing. Listen, do not feel like you have to carry a huge Bible. When I was in school, it, it, it was a fad to carry your Bible to school. And we had one of, the, uh, one of our Baptist churches here, his son, he had a Thompson Chain reference Bible. Okay, Anybody know what a Thompson Chain reference Bible is? It's enormous. It's like your coffee table Bible. Okay, And he would carry it around, and he would kind of wink at you like, uh-huh. I got this Thompson Chain reference Bible and you've got a Holman thin line NIV. I'm more saved than you. Thompson Chain. He would walk, walk around with it. Do not feel like you need to pray loud or pray in King James Version. Is anybody with me today? Are y'all here? Now, I didn't say that not, not to pray in public. I said don't pray loud in public. Robbie and I, one of the very first places we went when, when we were married, we went to this church, and I'm not going to name the city, but we went there, and it was so weird, y'all. And um, we went into this church, and I, I've told some of y'all this before, but the pastor met me at, at the door, and he had his shirt unbuttoned to about here, and he didn't have an undershirt on, it was just hair. And I was like, oh, goodness. And he had this gold chain on with a star of David just sitting on a tuft of hair, just like, 
He's like, come on in this house. You know, it's like a disco. I was waiting on a disco ball, you know, to drop or something. He took us to eat after church, and I, he said, guys, I'm just going to pray over the meal. We were like, okay, great. You know, we had all these pizza, all these people were with us. He stands up in the middle of like a pizza hut or something. He's like, oh, God, the name of Jesus. I mean, everybody's like, what just happened? You know, and it was followed by this liturgical, you know, dance of, of language. It was like this King James, you know, competition. Everything had an if on the end of it. And people were freaking out, like, where's our children? I mean, they were like looking around going, what is going on? We don't need to be weird about it, okay? So that, that is my, my last thing. Do not get weird. We can do better than this. Can I get an Amen. We can do better than this. Stop freaking people out. Do not get, get weird. My sister, before she passed, she was in ministry for about 30 years, pastor's wife. Pastor's wives were notorious for getting targeted. And people would always come up to her and they would say, hey, the Lord told me to tell you something. And it'd, be, it'd always be weird, you know. So my sister started doing this thing. People would come up and they would say, hey, the Lord told me to tell you this. And she would say, let me, let me stop. But before you came, the Lord told me that you were coming and you were going to say something really weird. <laughs> you know, they just kind of walk off. <laughs> I said, maybe you've missed some good words about it. She's like, that's between me and Jesus. You know, she's like, I'm tired of dealing with weird people. Let me end, end with this. Andy Stanley says this. He says, we want to be a church that unchurched people love to attend. We want to be a place that is conscious that you may have brought someone to church for the very first time. This is why we don't want to be weird. This is why we don't want to be flamboyant. This is why we don't, we don't want to draw attention to anything except Christ. We, don't, we want to be real. We want to be genuine. We don't have to, to fake a bunch of stuff. We don't have to work up a bunch of stuff. We don't have to anchor our experience on the weekend to hype. You know, if God does something and he's pouring it on our lives, then bring it. But we don't have to generate it. We don't have to make something happen. We always want to be conscious of you, okay? So Jesus, I want you to take, take this home with you. Jesus did not get into deep things until he had deep relationship. This is why you, you don't start with strangers going, where are you going to spend eternity? You start by befriending people. Meaning that there are layers to sharing good news, and most of it begins by you just being you. You can encourage someone. You can tell your story. You can put a seed in the ground. God will honor all of our evangelistic efforts no matter what they, they look like. If it's a word of encouragement, if it's a scripture written to somebody, if it's just, hey, I'm praying for you. Hey, you know what? Today when I, when I pray, I'm, I'm going to mention your name. I'm going to talk to God for you. Just loving people, just serving people. This is what Jesus did. He got in their lives. He went to their homes. He ate meals with them. He revealed heaven in layers to them. Why? Because he had relationship. This is the model for us. In the book of Acts, the church was exploding, and no one had a single Bible in print. 
They were just telling their story. They were saying, this is what the Lord's done for me. Nobody got real preachy. They just shared their, their lives with other people. And so I'm praying that over us. we got two weeks till Easter. In church world, this is the Super Bowl. It's a time where in our culture, this may be the only week out of 52 weekends that somebody actually comes to a building for a service. This is why we say, let's fill this place up. Not because we need another figure to throw on a piece of paper, but because people are important. And we've been reconciled to be reconcilers, okay? I want you to stand with me today, and I'm just going to pray this over us. I'm going to pray for your story.